just a quick disclaimer before we get into the episode. Um, this is not about the real men of Easy Company. This is about the show Band of Brothers. We are not disparaging the legacy and the campaigns of the actual men who fought in World War II. We are simply some friends who want to talk about Band of Brothers because it's our favorite show. And with that being said, enjoy the episode. Hey guys, so before we get started, I just want to let you guys know that this is a two-part episode. This is the second uh, half of Karen Tan, and we had so much fun that we had to just double it up. So um, yeah, without further ado, enjoy the second part. Is to read The Golden Compass, the in- <laughs> that book, and then watch the movie. Mm. That's what happens when you try to tell every story at the same time. Yeah. But... To get back on track, my yeah. in Karen's hand. So we've done. Sorry, I this didn't, is also I didn't, right. I didn't bef- take any notes on on Lipton's ball sack, so I don't know if this happened before or after. But the moment when Lus does not kill that family by accident. Mm, yeah, yeah. Mm. Because Wait, if, he if just going, stops and he's like. Mm. Yeah, he stops and he checks. Mm-hmm. And if we're going back to the discussion mm-hmm. of a good soldier versus a bad soldier, yeah. would a good soldier have taken the risk that there would have been a German with a gun pointed at him behind that door? Or would a good soldier just have killed them immediately? But on the other hand, mm-hmm. would a good soldier be cautious and show mercy? Mm. Yeah. Or is it a good soldier versus like a good person? Yeah. Yeah. Because I think he actually it's written somewhere that like he heard like a woman's voice and that's what gave him pause. Yeah, I think that was actually baby. that window cuz yeah. Because yeah. you had Hubler who was sort of like hurrying up he's like just fucking throw the grenade. Yeah. yeah. Just do it. Yeah, yeah. and probably- that's that Sorry, go on. No, sorry, I keep interrupting you. I'm, it's time <laughs> I keep talking at the same time. Go on. Um, I think it's probably why, I know for me, why he's one of my favourite characters because, yes, like, he's a good soldier. He knows how to, he's, obviously as the series goes on, he knows how to survive. But at the same time, like you said, I don't know if, like, he, I've not read it, so I don't know if he did hear the voice, like, the woman's voice or not with him stopping and checking and then not shooting them anyway, or like with Hubler, they said that he was probably only one of the, one of the people who actually enjoyed the war. Like he want, like he always volunteered first to go out on a patrol. He wanted to shoot people. He wanted to throw grenades and all that. So, um, so especially being in that situation as well, um, and adrenaline, adrenaline and everything, you're going to be wanting to throw grenades, shoot, get out of there straight away, go on to the next thing to survive. With Luz stopping and hesitating and then checking straight away, this I think makes him a good person as well because if he'd have, like before when they threw the grenade and then went in and shot the survivors, if he'd have thrown that grenade, gone in, realised, oh my God, that's a whole family in there, mm-hmm. um, that would have sent him God knows what way. So yeah. the fact that he stops and checked makes him, I think, makes him a good person as well because 
Like, he's, you're not going to shoot kids and an old man. Like, he's not going to do that. So I yeah. really like him because of that as well. You're never going to do that if you know what you're doing. And I think it's also interesting because three and a half minutes later, we see that scenario play out. And it's a soldier. I didn't write down his name, so I probably didn't see who it was. Um, but it's a soldier who walks into a house and he walks out into the garden. And <laughs> yeah. there are, like, mm. there's this clothesline and there's what I guess is some kind of garden shed or an outdoor yeah. toy. An outhouse. Yeah. He doesn't check. He suspects there might be someone, he doesn't check, and he fires, and he turns around and leaves. Mm. And I think from a soldier point of view, like, if you're doing, like, the, like, this is all a game, and we're all dead anyways, like, from that kind of standpoint, then yes, that is the absolute correct thing to do. You assume that there is an enemy at every corner, and you fire at them. But clearly, if we're looking at a good soldier from like an ethical standpoint to check first to like put your own life at risk to make sure that you don't accidentally hurt a civilian is the better thing to do yeah but i think the fear doing that he's not demonized for shooting into a place that could hold a civilian it's just a moment that happens yeah and then he gets his shit rocked <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but then he gets the nicest hug from Leave God. I think I'm I know asking. that's like the I the one him. moment of compassion we see from Leave God. It's like the button. You're blinded forever, but you get to be hugged by Ross McCall from twenty years ago. Yeah. Which <laughs> I don't um, think he was blinded. No, he didn't, wasn't blinded. Blind? He just got no, he didn't go blind. He just I mean, he lost his legs. I was. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but you like see him in later life. He's fine. Yeah, yeah. Fine. But I think I think like he got just like splinters all over his mm. face. Yeah, one eye is uh, is cool because he sees Leap God. I remember that he mm. sees Leap God. He yeah. might have lost one eye, but yeah, which but, yeah. is sad. Like from 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 a purely cinematic perspective and like <laughs> a dramatic perspective, that's sad because otherwise we could have had a fun like physical blindness versus. Meant like hysterical emotional blindness with blind because mm -hmm. he goes blind, that's a thing that happens. Yeah. Blind, but then he's cured by Dick Winner. Yeah, he, he sees the face <laughs> of God, and but and he freaks out because he's not capable of being a soldier. Yeah, but um, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Um, I think it was a couple of weeks ago. Um, I can't remember the guy who plays Tipper. Bart, that's all I remember, his first name. He Bart posted a photo. That's the one. He posted a photo of how they actually did that scene with um, um, the fake legs and then tipped oh, yeah, him he was in a hole next to it. And I thought, that has completely ruined that for me now because I'm not going to be able to see that. Because I well, can't I mean, myself and I have to look. If you'll notice, I guess, like, he doesn't... There is sort of, like, a disconnect, it almost looks like, between his torso and his... I yeah. know, I... As soon as I look, as soon as I because they don't. Us, I knew. <laughs> I went to school for special effects makeup. I could talk about this forever. <laughs> they don't show like the the full body, and I think maybe mm. that's by design. Yeah. yeah. I think like, when I when I looked at um the photo, I knew straight away that I'm going to look for that next time I watch this episode because I'm an idiot. And so I went and looked at it, and I thought, why have you done that? You've ruined it now. Just watch the watch the episode. Yeah. I would counter that maybe... Uh, you waste, if there's um, 
if there's a belt, uh, it's usually at the waist or at the knee. I didn't see the photo, so I don't know what it looked like, but that seems very reasonable to me. But that's also like interesting to go off on a tangent because today that would have been done in CG. Like absolutely. They would have painted yeah. it green and it would have been done in CG. So special effects makeup is a dying art and we should always support it. Because yeah. just the fact that you didn't catch it up until now says something about how good it is. Yeah. I would I, I would even I was I was gonna say I would even counter that like it's just a testament to like how well every part of the production of this show holds up. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Save for no. the the parachute the parachuting uh CGI on D Day, but like <laughs> <laughs> But, like, the fact that, like, you know, they were, they did all that, and, you know, all mm. parts of this production is just chef's kiss incredible. Yeah. It's so well made, because they took the time and effort to do this mm. in real life. Like, yeah. they got paratrooper boots, they did the makeup, they did the hair, they got actual, the actual airplanes from mm -hmm. like they got four of them and then just shot them over and over and over like they did this for real they didn't do it in a computer and you know not so hard from cg cg is amazing at doing things we can't do in real life but the length they went to to make this as realistic as they could while still telling a compelling narrative is mm -hmm. incredible yeah mm. i think as well like doesn't add anything at all it's just saying um one of the scenes i don't know where i've got this from whether i've just thought of it or not i think they actually took like they stripped the whole inside of one of the planes and then made it into like part of the forest in bastone um i don't know if i've just made that up or not but i think i've read it somewhere um so a lot of like the scenes with like the snow and everything from bastone is actually the inside of like one of the planes so, yeah, I thought they did it in a hangar. They were like in a hangar. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I don't know where I've got that from. But. Yeah, <laughs> no, they, that's what they did. There are a couple of those mm. throughout the world that are like hangars where you go to film outdoor movies because, especially filming mm. shit with snow, is really, really difficult because you yeah. have to make synthetic snow. Otherwise, A, the union is going to be up your ass for having people in cold water because that's what snow yeah. is and b it's going to be impossible to film because you have to keep adding it on and it's just a mess but then filming mm. with fake snow in a place where wind can get to you is probably also a bit of a nightmare so mm. that's fun yeah that's fun. yeah it's well, facts with maria <laughs> mm. um but Leave got and the guy who gets killed yeah. one of a couple of moments we have in the fighting in Karantan where there are just these short, sweet moments that show how much these soldiers care about each other. Yeah, you yeah. Have, there's like you have tablets and the nuts, you have mm. Leave got and <laughs> the guy who lost his leg, mm. you have Bull carrying the man who just lost. One of his oh legs. my god! Yeah, yeah. Um, there are probably more. There's a little, um, there's a little exchange between Malarkey and Muck, yeah, where they're just, like shooting and they're just like having like a normal conversation about the priest. Yeah, and they're like crazy, crazy, crazy Irish. Irish. Yeah. yeah. 
And you should know malarkey because you ran into a firefight to go look for a luger on D-Day. Like, if anybody knows how crazy people can be, that would be Don Malarkey. Yeah, but this is also interesting. Like, when is it crazy and when is it good? When is it a good soldier and when is it a bad soldier? Because a medic running into a field to take care of dying soldiers is considered the bravest man in the company and everybody's going to love him and he's doing such a good job. And then you have a priest who's going around caring for people's souls. Like, he has memorized which one of them were Catholic in order to give them the last rites, in order to make sure that, according to their beliefs, they're going to end up in heaven. Like, that's some pretty heavy shit. And he's like, oh, you kooky Catholics running around trying to save souls. I think that's interesting. I, um, speaking of medics, this is, like, I think the one of the first instances, and it's, you know, split second, because this is how he does it, short and sweet. Um, <laughs> Doc is working on someone, a building blows up, he leans over them, protect him, and then he just goes back to working. Yes. Yeah. And no one's like, crazy. Like, <laughs> if there's someone who's insane. Yeah, that is someone who is insane. Um, but it's also such a good bloody soldier for doing it. Like, it's so... Because who does that? Who does he, that? Literally, when your entire, like, your entire job is to just protect the men and make sure that they're okay, you have to do yeah. this shit. Yeah. And yeah, it's, and it's like, the shortest scene. It's like a split second, but... It's one of those things you catch when you watch this show a little too much. A lot. <laughs> um, but even, oh, like, it's the next scene that I have written down, um, but I know that obviously Dick gets shot in the shin first, but Ro caring for, for Winner's um, bullet wound and, like, the reverence with which he <laughs> cleans a man's, like, ricochet wound like dabbing it so perfectly and so lovingly around (laughs) this wound um but also when a medic actually has the time and the supplies to like juxtapose that between like bastone where he is an absolute mess and doesn't have the time to do anything um but like in carentan where he like has the space and he has the supplies and he has the time and he's gonna take 40 minutes to patch up like a single person a single person but also because it's winter it's like this man cannot get an infection if he gets an infection and gets taken off the line we're all screwed like mm. i just that scene is great but also it is preceded yeah. by Dick being an idiot and standing in the middle of the road yeah well it really shows how much care they take i also love the moment where like are you going to be able to stay off it he asks an officer in the middle of a world war like <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't Can think you sit for but... 15 minutes? Like, yeah, do you th- I, I recommend a couple of weeks of bed rest. Like, the only yeah. one who ever actually did what the doctor told them was Webster, and everybody hated him for it. So, yeah. yeah. Or he's like, all right, I'm going to wrap this up. And, and Winners is like, can I actually, can I just go uh, cure Blythe of his hysterical blindness first? Like, let me go deal with that. And yeah. then I'll come back. And then he comes back and Rose like, great, cool. Can we wrap this now? I I love 
I love Rose's exasperation when Winters is like, what's wrong with him? He's like, he's blind. <laughs> like, <laughs> what, he can't see it. No, that's what he says. I mean, fuck it, I don't know. I <laughs> guess so. I can't what? test that. It's like Winters has to ask, like, wait, what do you mean he's blind? Like, he can't see that. Yes, that is the, the pretty much the definition of being blind. Like, what did you want him to say? <laughs> yeah. This is where we, uh, we see sort of like the... Um, the exasperation of Gene Rowe yeah. come to the forefront. Because, <laughs> like, to that point, he hadn't really spoken. He was just sort of, like, making yeah. his faces. But then you're like, oh, he's just tired all the time. Yeah. Hmm. He needs a break. Um, and then Dick just goes and, like, becomes Saint Dick for a little yeah. while. Like, kills this PTSD in a couple of sentences. And earlier we were talking about Harry the man versus Welsh the officer. I think yeah. here we've now seen two interactions between Winters and Blythe where we have Winters the officer who's hauling him out of a ditch to probably mm -hmm. go get himself killed. Like just, you know, you need to go because men are dying. That's what we're doing. And then you have Dick the man who sits down, who sits next to a man who's, for all he knows, making something up to get off the line. And he's like, it's gonna be okay. Yeah. I'm not disappointed mm -hmm. in you. He calls him son. I mean, for God's sake. Um, and we... then that's what he needs. Yeah. That's and then he, he can needs. just leave the aid station. Yeah. yeah. Just and a moment of compassion. He gets, to, he gets to sit outside and listen to some gossiping about <laughs> everyone's favorite gossip girl dad. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Are you proud of yourself? <laughs> yeah, there it is. There it is. I was wondering how many episodes you were, it was going to take for you to make that reference. Oh, it's probably been in every episode. It's probably been in Probably, every yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but listen. Li listen, was, was Spears my least favorite character because I hate Rufus Humphrey? I'll never tell. That's one secret I'll never tell. <laughs> my um, least favorite character because he's a war criminal. But that's just a vague <laughs> backstory for this guy. I don't you like when he wears chokers. <laughs> but you know who else clearly does <laughs> not like him? Is Elton Moore. Has oh no! He has he a death wish. <laughs> like the animosity between those two characters is like. Mm. Oh. like listen, he had the he had the the gall to say we're just getting settled, and like <laughs> stare him down. Yeah, yeah. But then also, like, more is the one in the end who like steals Hitler's um, photo album. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I know you took it, and Alton Moore is just like. So, yeah, what, what are you gonna do? I don't like, it's either you steal it or I steal it. So, like, it's not like you can report me for stealing the thing that you yourself are going to steal. But I love that animosity, and I had never noticed it, mostly because I can never pick more out of like a lineup. I I tend to get more and Allie confused. Same, like hard thing. I don't, I don't uh, need to feel it. Sorry. Oh no, that's it. I just get them all. <laughs> I don't know if you'll get this because you're not British, but. Um, Alton Moore has the biggest year seven energy I've ever I've ever seen in my life. Like he's so, he's a, he has the attitude of like a twelve year old. Like oh, just like a mostly, shitty preteen. 
Yeah, like most year sevens I know, um, well, like nowadays, it wasn't like that when I was in high school, but when nowadays, like if, if you run into them, if it was back when it was, I was in year 11, when I was 16, you'd be like, watch where you're going. And they'd tell me, like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to. But if he has the energy of a year seven now, where if you say, watch where you're going, they'll be like, come on then, at me now, fight me. And it's like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> they have energy. That's a, that's a, that's an international thing, because, like... 12-year-olds are the worst. There's no such thing as a good 12-year-old. No, no, there's not. Um, But I do like Alton more, just kind of sitting there like, you're really putting this guy on a pedestal. He's not that cool. And then he gets death into the face and comes out victorious, and he kind of proves them right. He's like the guy that pokes a sleeping bear. Like, he's doing that exact thing. Like, he's like, go on, go on, let me see what you can do to prove it. Yeah. He's he's taking what he can. Again, we're kind of spoiling future episodes here, but because of that (laughs) conversation they have, that he has with Lipton in the church a couple of months later when he's joined the Easy Company, and Lipton asks him about all the rumours, and he says that, maybe I just basically he says that maybe I just think it's good if the men fear me a little bit Mm. I'm kind of watching this interaction with the thought of how much are you making this up for clout a lot like yeah Uh, but here's the thing um if you read there's a there's a book about easy company like later it's called a company of heroes Spears basically was like, yeah, I probably did all that. <laughs> probably, because yeah, he didn't really remember. He's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's also the telling of the myth afterwards. I mean, I think Winters, like the real man, at one point said that, yeah, he was a war criminal, but we kind of needed good officers, so no one ever did anything about it. I think if after the war, like, if they would have been more open about what had happened during the war, he might have gotten persecuted for it. Um, mm. But they weren't, and he was also in Germany, which was notoriously horrible at persecuting war criminals. So, I mean, that's um, as much as I love Spears as a character in the same way that I love Sobel as a character, I kind of feel like it is a glamorization of a man who did some horrible things to a lot of people. Someone remind me what he did. I can't remember what, what he did. I've not watched it for a while. Yeah, he, he killed the, he ki- allegedly killed like 20 POWs. Oh, yeah, I remember now. Yeah. yeah. And that's like, that's, that was like the big myth surrounding him. And My then he shoots a man in his own company for being like drunk and disrespectful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> but then yeah. took out like an entire uh, gun after yeah. getting <laughs> other men killed. Mm. Like the rest of the guys he was there with died. Mm. Uh, say la vie. <laughs> like, I feel no, like they kind of were like. Say la mort. I feel like it's kind of like it is what yeah, it is. Yeah, like you killed a bunch of people, but. You did take out a gun, so like, yeah, you can stay. You, yeah. you saved more lives than you took. Exactly. They were like, great, yeah, good. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, but I mean, that's also the thing, like, why do we have a Geneva Convention? Why do we have rules surrounding war? It is because we decide that there are certain things that, even if you're in wartime, are not acceptable. And killing a group of POWs who have no weapons, who are clearly outnumbered, who have no way of hurting any of you anyhow, and who also, on top of all of that, probably have some good information that could help us win the war and end Nazi Germany. Killing them in cold blood like that is a violation of those rules that we have in place for a reason. And it's to make war the most inhumane thing on the planet as, as human as humanly possible. Mm. I'm just a sucker for human rights. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> and I'm insufferable. It's all a game, Maria. <laughs> We're just moving forward. Oh, take a look at fucking Watchmen over here being all cool and like, I don't care about this. It's all a game. Forgive me. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so... So after they move from Carentan, we're, we're going to move on. We're, go, we're going. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, I actually, like, I have <laughs> to get back favorite. to work, so. We yeah. My favorite part of this, which is, where the fuck did he get a horse? Oh, fat boy. Yeah. He just I want to know. With the it's, the, it's the 20th he, century. It's World he War He looted it. Why do you have a horse? Get, Why don't you have a, a horse? Or a tank. Good point. I want a horse. Have you heard of General Fucking Motors? <laughs> yeah. What are you doing on a horse? <laughs> they are in France. They are, there are stables. He took a horse. What? Perconte killed people and took watches. Oh, c'est la vie, c'est la mode cheval, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. The amount. Do you have any idea how many of these soldiers, like, came from places with farms and, like, were actually, like, very well-versed in horse breeding and horse riding and a lot of them were cowboys and a lot of them herded cattle on horses. Like, that was just a skill that a large majority of the people that were at war had. They, like, knew how to ride horses. So, like, heck yeah. They had horses. Absolutely beautiful. (laughs) white horse from a stable. Why do we never see Bull ride a cow? Yes. Because he absolutely did that, the fucking farmy boy. I mean, there's a lot of things that we don't see. <laughs> 25 <laughs> hours of extra material coming. I need it. Like, um, <laughs> this Sorry. episode particularly, well, this one and D-Day, like, it bothers me how little we see of the Mortar Squad. Because yes. they were according to all of the outside literature, instrumental to, like, the taking of Carentan, and, like, those seven days were, like, Dick Winters speaks volumes about how awesome Malarkey and the Mortar Squad were at their job, and we, like, almost never get to see them. It got Malarkey Mm. promoted. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. You see it at the end of the, um, the episode. Yeah. When the woman is like, oh, Private Malarkey. And he's like, ooh, Sergeant Malarkey now. Well, well, yeah. Yeah. well to get uh, to the end of the episode. I know. <laughs> okay, but... So, yeah, I, I just it so bad. It's, like, awful. I'm sorry. So, uh, they are they are heading into the hedgerow, and this is where Perconte is complaining. He's like, why are we always out front? Nah, nah, nah. And, and then, then they get uh, Yeah. So, they have to <laughs> run and hide. Are we there? And then yeah. DNF company uh, retreat. 
and you sit there and you're like, Prakani, that's why you're always in the front. Yeah, you guys are the only ones that don't run. Yeah, like you are the only ones that stand down. You're gonna get me killed, Lieutenant. Ah, <laughs> oh, Harry Welch. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, they just sort of, I think, it's like close to 12 days they sit in the hedgerow. Something like that. It's, yeah. it's something like that. They were in there for a while. Mm. They so were just, just that night. No, they were in there for a while. Yeah. Um, because they were in there long enough for, and this is where the Tom Hanks cinematic universe comes in. Um, Skip mm -hmm. Muck yeah. was friends with the brothers who Saving Private Ryan was based off of. And yeah. so they, they found him in the hedgerow because they were in the same area and they came and said, we're going, I'm going home. And he said goodbye to Skip. Hang on, mm. is Skip Muck in Saving Private Ryan? No. No. <laughs> but in but <laughs> in the Tom but in my the caviar. In the oh, in your the universe. In your Tom in, Hanks. In my un, in my Tom Hanks cinematic universe, there's an intersection and in the days that we don't see, we see um fucking Matt Damon. Matt Damon comes and That's says hi. <laughs> Deleted scenes. It's in the footage. It's in the deleted, deleted scenes. scenes. There. I want my Matt Damon. I want my 2001 Matt Damon, please. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. See, see so, like, because they were friends, and they did all this stuff together. So, like, why didn't, why didn't he make a cameo? Put on why the uniform, Matt. But in my head, he does, because they were in that hedgerow for a while. Oh my god, so we're gonna end up with deep fakes of Matt Damon in the <laughs> <laughs> Yes, we are. But, <laughs> um, that sounds dirty, but it's not. It's just... It's just a simple man-up. It's a simple man-up. It's fine. It's, yeah, it's fine. A deep um, fake in the hedgerow is gonna be my new nickname forever. <laughs> um, but in the hedgerows, this idea of a good soldier really yeah. comes... This um with all of these blithe pep talks, the blithe so pep talks. Yeah. So Martin is over it. Why is he even sleeping with Blythe? Always over it. <laughs> um. So they partnered Blythe up. Like I like. I kind of wonder if Martin knows who Blythe is and knows that he's just like a whiny fuck because. He's sitting there with this man who has this thousand yard stare, and he's like, "Are you gonna sleep tonight?" And he's like. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm going to be able, well then go look what the noise is. It's like, no, like, are you okay moment? It's just that, well. Oh yeah, because, uh, Talbert gets Talbert. stabbed. Talbert gets stabbed. Night of the bayonet. Um, to be fair, if I had just been stared at by Martin with that thousand yard stare, and then asked if I'm going to sleep. I don't think I would be. I, I don't think mm -hmm. I could. I feel, I feel like I would be like, he's going to kill me tonight. I can't, I'm not sleeping now. <laughs> but, um, this is like, this is like peak edgy Harry in this scene. Oh God, yeah. Here, he's just like. The moment was like flash and he like jumps into the thunder. box. And then he says thunder. But like. Like a man like, for like accidentally waking someone up, like 
Mm. What is going on here? What training do you two receive? This is so <laughs> that you have these completely opposite. Like you have a guy just jumping into your foxhole and nobody cares because it's probably crazy Harry. But when you've got a guy like waking you up to take your watch, oh no, now it's stabbing McStabster time. And then, oh my God, I thought it was a crowd. I didn't see, like, what were you thinking? Oh no, yeah, they were. And they're just going to gently like shush me awake. Like, hello. Time to die, motherfucker. Like, that's my German accent. It's not great. But, um, yeah, so, the, uh, this is one of the many Pacific Care comparisons I make with this show. And I sort of, and I, and I don't mean to, it just happens, um, inadvertently, but when Spears is sort of giving his pep talk about how a soldier is supposed to function and how it's like they're all they're all afraid they're all you know feeling they're hopeless and they don't know what's going on but in Spears's mind you just have to accept that you're already dead and yeah. there's nothing after this you just have to be like I'm operating um on borrowed time essentially I really liken that to um Captain Haldane in the Pacific uh, after yeah. the Peleliu airfield where he's like, we're all afraid. A man who isn't afraid is dead, but you just have to remember your training and keep going. Mm. It That's a real, I think, and they're not the same show, but it's the same war, but it's two very distinct leadership styles. Yeah. Mm. And it's, it's hard to quantify, but like I always, I always, see the two in my mind and I'm like I would rather in this situation I would rather Captain Haldane I think yeah, yeah. than I mean, the you're already dead spirit yeah <laughs> I'm like <laughs> at least like at least like remember your training you can get through this other than you're gonna die you're dead already well I mean but also like Spears being like this isn't fear that you're feeling it's hope and it's like nah bro it's fear like yeah. someone is shooting at me yeah. Pretty yeah. sure it's fear. But Spears is like, no, it's not fear. It's hope. It's that you actually think that you're still alive and like you are not alive. This is lost. We're on the island. Deal with it. Like, this is how to be a good soldier is to just assume that you are not yeah. going home. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's really interesting that we have like these three um, we have Spears, we have Harry, and we have Winters. Um, and space is very much, yeah, you're probably going to die or you have died. You just haven't realized that yet. You're, like, you're already a dead man. So just act like it doesn't even matter anymore. And then you have Harry who's like, it's not that we're dead. It's just that the game is essentially already played out. Like the way that I interpret that is kind of like, we do what we do and they do what they do and all of the pieces has, have already been set in motion. Like there's, we can't change what's gonna happen. And so either I die here in a foxhole, in a hedgerow in France somewhere, or I get home to Kitty and give her my parachute, like mm -hmm. as a gift. And then we have Dick Winters who like a couple of episodes later, when Nixon is about losing it, he's like, I don't know how I'm going to break the news that more soldiers have died. And Dick just goes, they died as heroes. 
Like these are three very different perspectives on the value of human life in a war situation. Like, are we all heroes? Are we all essentially rats who have already died? Or are we just pawns in a game? Mm. They are three officers, three leaders with essentially the same qualifications. But they approach these situations so very differently. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just like a, that's just like a great way to like sort of put the theme of this episode. Yeah. Mm. Mm. I um, Sorry, I, I keep going on rants. No, I, it's fine. That was like, that was, that's just like that, that you did it. You, you beat it. You beat the episode. Yeah. I, <laughs> but I, I don't know what else to add. Okay. But how about this for a discussion point? Because I do like this. So Blythe has heard the rumors about space. And Blythe is scared chicken shit. Why in the world does he confide in Ronald Space? Is he hoping to get killed? Because apparently Space has, ki- has killed bad soldiers before. Is he hoping to get the shit smacked out of him? Is he just at a breaking point? Why out of all people does he confide in space? I think I just, it was just a lash out. Because he did sort of lash out at Spears. He's like, like you did to those prisoners. Like, he wasn't even there. He had just heard about it earlier. Yeah. Maybe. Good yeah, point. I... I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's... I think Blythe is just, like, so... Uh, spacey and like just not there right when they're like Blythe what do you think about it and he's just like oh I don't know it's like well, he's, he, he's he's hit that point and he's just like yeah right I don't care anymore so it's like I'm just gonna say what I want sort of thing I Maybe. think Blythe like files things away because he like he he looked like he wasn't paying attention to that conversation and then he like oh <sighs> he brought it up yeah. Like he, he got yeah. that little file cabinet and he's like, what can I say that'll piss someone off? It's like a girl from a screenshots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it's like he believes that if anyone's going to give me like a serious answer, like not a pep talk, not a whatever. Like if I need, if I'm such a bad soldier that I just need to die, space is going to kill me. And so maybe that's what needs to happen at this point. Mm. Like yeah. I, I, I don't know. I'm just so fascinated that it's space that he spills his beans to. Yeah, like, yeah. It's not Harry who's been kind of nice to him. It's not Dick who's been very nice to him. It's space, the cryptid from Dog Company. It could be literally just come to me. Hmm? Like you said, like Winters and well, should have been nice to him. So. If he confines in them, he may get like a sugar-coated answer. So yeah. if he turns around to Spears, he knows he's gonna like he's gonna get the truth. Like he doesn't they don't know each other, they've never trained with each other, I don't think, obviously, being from two different units. They they don't know what each other like limits are. They like overstepping the boundary sort of thing. So he knows he's gonna get the truth and that's what he wants at that point. So mm-hmm. maybe But then it still doesn't help. let's be honest the only thing that makes him a soldier is dick winners standing over him pulling his rifle up 
sighting his rifle and being like, fire your weapon. Blind. Yeah. It's like and he needs to be told exactly what to do. In that hedgerow next to him, like firing weapons together. And that finally pulls him out of the like funk that he had been in since D-Day. Is yeah. like Dick yeah. saying, like, just pull the trigger. Just do it. Yeah. 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 And then yeah. he does it. And then suddenly, like, he's like, oh, right. I remember my training. Like mm-hmm. going back to you know the Pacific, like oh I actually remember how to do this. I remember how to be a soldier. Like okay yeah let's yeah. do this. And then suddenly I done this for two years. it all clicks back into place. Yeah, yeah. but maybe I, he needed the one two three from Welsh Spears and Winters. Yeah, mm. Sorry, I will you? say the um the battle in the hedgerow on all of them seems like it takes a lot more of a toll than something like yeah. Karen Tan. Even though they're objectively more covered, they mm. have more <laughs> opportunity for that, but that just seems like maybe it was closer proximity, but there's just something about that battle that just seems more exhausting. I think six yeah. tanks coming at them also yeah. doesn't help. Yeah. And they've been sitting in that hedgerow for days. Yeah. Right? Mm. Like this is the end of- Waiting for their tanks. Thing. Yeah. 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 Like, they waiting for the second armored not coming like they finally are like we're just gonna have to make this push and then tanks show up which they were not expecting those tanks to show up i don't think either right yeah they harry's all like all right i'll tell the men to fix bayonets and then the panzer division shows up like yeah and just blowing that plan to shit literally yeah Yeah. like you're not gonna bayonet an armored division from the Germans, um, which I think they all, what they were expecting to happen that day and like what actually happened that day were very different. So I think there's a level of mental exhaustion. Yeah, yeah. and exhaustion yeah. that goes through. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of going from like zero, like we're not going to survive this, they were fucking tanks, to all the way to 100. Our tanks are here. It's going completely different, and then just the emotions are going to be so different. It's gonna physically exhaust you after that. Yeah. Not well, physically and mentally. Yeah. 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 And like I think that, and then that leads us up to the climactic part of the episode, which is when Blythe kills a human being. Yeah. And okay. He... So I'm really glad that that's where your climactic point of the episode is because mine is Harry taking down the tank and running back not going yeah. on run. Uh, that is for me because I no longer watch the show as a Blythe centered episode. I look at it as a Harry centered episode. So like for me that is like the climax of the show is Harry blowing up a tank and then the second armored coming in. Mm-hmm. Cool as cucumbers, might I add. Have you guys yeah. ever seen the facial expressions <laughs> of the men? They're, so chill. They're looking like I'm just driving to Chili's. Like, what the fuck? Like, Can just, I just yeah. say, uh, this is in every war movie I watch about World War II. All of them, I maybe I'm face blind, but they look like Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. They, all they, all like <laughs> they all look like they're 45. They all look like Bill Murray. <laughs> they all look like Bill Murray. <laughs> That's a requirement. Yeah. That's Bill Murray. Brad like, Pitt. I do think, that's Bill Murray too. I do think though, if you are if you're walking into like a battle that's already happened, 
with tanks and you're think you're gonna be thinking you ain't you're not gonna beat me i'm on a fucking tank so like yeah. I if it were me i would feel pretty cool i would be yeah. i'd be feeling myself a bit i'd be like okay yeah you're all gonna die i'm gonna kill you all i've got a tank but yeah. what i want to ask about that to the people who know more about like tanks in world war Two, those do not look like american tanks like they're british i saw that yeah i did think that because the thing about American tanks, too, is that <clears throat> the American tank division kind of sucked. Like, mm. they had the highest kill rate, I think, of any, like, specific division in, comparative to, in comparison to how big their numbers were. Um, yeah. Again, I mean, I joked about Fury earlier, but apparently, like, that is a really good movie if you're interested in mm. what being in a tank in America was like. And so... I don't know how well spread that news had been at this point, but that could absolutely also be something that affects someone is that we're waiting for the tanks, but the tanks won't have shit if the Germans have tanks because the German, oh, I can't remember what it was called, but the Germans, much like they had the Luger, they had like this kind of super tank. Who was like, the Panzers? Panzers. Yeah, but the, yeah. The, yeah, but something like that. They had like the specific model of specific tank that was really, really, really good. Um, and basically one of those tanks could take out like a company of American tanks. So the decision to kind of just push on could also have been made knowing that they were technologically inferior to the Germans at this specific area. Yeah. Especially if they've been waiting for two weeks and the tanks haven't shown up yet. Like, I would lose hope, too, at that point. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, the there yeah, are... Yeah, a guy. Yeah, Blythe... Uh, I'm sorry, I'm just like... Yeah, Blythe yeah. kills a guy. And um, he, no. earns, he earns his idol vice. Yeah. He earns it in his, in his own frame of, <laughs> um, frame of mind. He's like, he kills the is... first man, he loots his first corpse. Mm. It is a sentimental thing. Baby's yeah. first looting. Baby's and then, first oh, looting. Yeah. Also, like, again, not to go into the dramaturgy too much. Sorry, should I interrupt you? No, go ahead. I wasn't talking. Oh, okay. I, I thought someone was talking. Sorry. Um, but the dramaturgical build-up to the moment when he finds this soldier is so long like from the moment he shoots him to the moment where he plucks the Edelweiss it is three and a half minutes mm, yeah like this is a heavy heavy moment in this show and it kind of goes along with the idea of like how I see the show to be structured I kind of see like these three first episodes as kind of being a trilogy and like while also being like the first arch and at the end of the arch we're taken from these are just regular guys having fun at Camp Tokoa to like okay we're soldiers this is a war this is for real and this is not the time or place to have ethical issues with what is going on like mm -hmm. Spears we see him commit a war crime and he's kind of like yeah that's what you gotta do we see Blythe turn from this like embodiment of innocence and also the actor looks so innocent he's so blue-eyed and like and then at the end of it he's this cold-hearted guy who just kind of goes 
and like offers to go on this exploration like exploration of this house and it kills him and the show kind of goes fuck you because that's what's going to happen now you need to live with this because this is war yeah um but he he um so he sort of um he sort of reaches the level that the rest of easy had already been at Mm-hmm. Like they had already sort of, um, most of them had that had been found by Easy Company had already experienced a battle with Breakor or just like little skirmishes here and there. So this is he was in Carantan, but he was just sort of like tagging around with people. This is sort of his first like his baptism by fire almost. Yeah, it's like you can him sort of becoming like his part of the war now like him getting involved into it at, instead of like you said just hanging back and being part of everybody else you can yeah. see him coming into his own sort of thing mm-hmm. yeah it's like precisely at this point yeah it's yeah. the point in that we mm. um but yeah and then he um but he does start volunteering for things and he does go on a, a forest patrol Right as they're leaving France. Yeah. I know. I'm going back to Harry again. I'm sorry. Yeah, go Um, back to Harry. Of course. I love Harry. I love that this is like the Harry Blythe episode and that Maria is so team Blythe. And I'm like, no. Uh, (laughs) Harry, I love him. Like, they're sitting in the woods, right? And Nix is like, I need somebody to go check out that house. And Harry's like, I hate asking for volunteers. Yeah. And he's like, okay, so then pick someone. Oh, I hate picking someone. Who am I going to pick? Mm-hmm. And Nick's just like, I don't care. This is your job. This is not yeah. your job. Yeah. And so Harry, like, turns around and is like, who wants to go? And he's like, please, someone, anyone, please. And Blythe, like, maybe because it's Harry asking, pops up and is mm-hmm. like, I'll go. Right? Yeah. And he's absolutely kind of adorable, kind of. He looks like a little gopher. Yeah, he does. He like pops up out of the grass. Like, I'll go. Um, And then he gets shot. And then the scene after that, when they're like, oh, they're taking us off the line. And Harry is trying to light his cigarette. And he's staring at all of the blood on the ground where Blythe was bleeding out before they took him away. And he's trying to light the cigarette and he can't get it lit. And you can see that the man is maybe on the verge of tears and he just rips a cigarette out of his mouth and like crunches it and throws it on the ground, even though he's just been told that they're coming off the line and they're going back to England, which 10 minutes ago, he was like, can't wait to get back to England. Yeah. To send this parachute back to Kitty so that she can make um, a wedding dress, right? So again, this like, Harry the man versus Welsh, the like guy who's in charge of people's lives, who's like responsible for all of these people's lives. And it really comes to a head right there because he should be so excited. Like Harry the man should be so excited, but he's pissed because he's just been told they're coming off the line after watching one of his guys like borderline bleed out from the neck because of a patrol that he sent him on and a sniper that was like in this random house, um, which... I think the last theme that I'm just going to mention about this episode that had come up um, is the arbitrary nature of war. Like mm. how 
arbitrary all of it is like Blythe gets shot but like Hubler doesn't right and like yeah. one foxhole explodes and like the other doesn't um and there's so much kind of arbitrary nature in this episode even like the fact that Dick got a ricochet bullet in the foot after declaring that street clear to the officers who were like hiding behind a wall and none of them get hit but like he does and so there's like mm -hmm. a lot of these just like drops of kind of how war is almost like a tornado like how how did i not get hit but like the guy standing next to me did yeah it's all a gamble yeah yeah it's all yeah. a gamble and it's also the like for other parallels like the parallel between the scene where Blythe is sitting on the floor and Roe watches him go over and like lay one hand on him on him and he's cured and then a couple of scenes later we have Dick watching Jean trying to save this man's life but this time there's no miracle yeah. this time again within the context of the show he dies essentially yeah Four years later, but, but yeah. But then yeah, but, and, and that wasn't well. even survived until <laughs> decades, decades later. But within the show, they tell us that he never recovered <laughs> from his injuries. So that's the moment where he dies. Again, it's a domino effect. He didn't die right there and then, but it set the things in motion dramaturgically that ended up killing him. Mm. And, um... You sort of, you get this, I mean, you have the scene in the hospital where he's like, where he gets his purple heart and he's yeah. like just dejected, staring at the ceiling and Smokey Gordon over there is just like, ha ha, here's my third one. Yeah. Um, but then Which, it, oh, go ahead. Well, I was say, and then it cuts back to England and you have these, these soldiers who are just happy to be alive. They're just and, like, and they're just, they're just like, they can't believe they made it and you know alton steals a motorcycle because that's his theme too he is the he's the mini spears but they're just he's having so a good time but then sort of the reality of the past month of their life comes crashing back to malarkey when he goes yeah. to get their laundry and she asks if he can take all of these men's stuff that never got to come back. Which, by the way, always struck me as a dick move from that woman. Yeah. Like, where did she <laughs> think they went? <laughs> yeah, like, but that sort of, like, you see the reality of, oh, I lived, but, like, they didn't. Yeah. You can so, really like, see that, the survivor's guilt in him as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, you can literally, like, I can go on for hours. I can go on for hours about this man's acting. But you can really see it in his face and like yeah. just like the heartache and the sadness that you can literally see pouring out of him. The way and it instantly like, falls. Yeah, like he literally just freezes and you can just see every, like all of that happiness that you said that they have about being just happy to make it. It just drops straight away and like you can just tell that he's like, shit, this is real. Like hey, uh... I've forgotten about it. I've forgotten about it when I was la la laughing and joking, but now it's back again. And you yeah. can really see it. Yeah, I want to... No, go on. I just need to look for something. Yeah, sorry. I also want to talk a bit more about the hospital later, if we could go back to that for a moment. But... Yeah, we can, we can go back to that, yeah. 
he also has this moment where he's like, he's almost like a tourist, like having the moment of, sorry, I don't know your currency. Can you like help me pick the coins out? And then he's like, oh yeah, that's fun. And it's almost like for a show with very, very few interactions with women, most of them have like this weird edge to them where it's like, oh, this might almost turn like to like this weird flirtationship. If this was a comedy, he would have flirted with that woman. But no, instead he's reminded of the fact that, oh yeah, my friends and my superior officers are dead. And they died in the last couple of weeks. Like, and now I'm going back out there. That's fun. Mm. And that's the note we leave the episode on. It's like you can almost see like like the divide in like the two different worlds of being like a civilian and a soldier. If mm-hmm. as a civilian, if someone you'd known uh, that had died in like or been killed like in the past few weeks, you would still be grieving in that time. But mm-hmm. with with the soldier, um, one of them people dying, one of one of well another soldier dying in the past couple of weeks. Yeah, that happens. Move on with it. And you can really see like the shift in like the like the different worlds. I think there. Yeah. And it's mental. <laughs> yeah, and if we're also talking like overarching themes throughout the entire series, I mean, this is the part where we kind of start to see Malaki start to break. Yeah. Like he's the character who obviously they all get their own emotional moment but Malaki seems to be the one who really 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 carries a very heavy emotional burden within the context of the show um and this is kind of the first moment that we see that and it goes along with this theme of almost thematically setting up the point where he loses his friends yeah like you see this scene where he loses his fellow soldiers and is very viscerally reminded of that by seeing their names on packets of their own clothes. Yeah. That was just pre-washed for them. And the the um different ways in which the show chooses to tell us how people like that people have died. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. This scene versus the one in Rasham when they're at um the monastery, no, the convent. Um, yeah. yeah. And Lipton is making his list, and we're like watching people disappear, right? So the way that the directors have chosen to kind of visualize the loss of people um, yeah. throughout the show is, all, to me, like really interesting. Yeah. That like this was their way of doing it for like D Day, whereas, you know, there's like, Bastone had like a very different way of showing how they lost men there. Like uh. this um this arc sort of it shows you what they have to leave behind. Mm. Yeah. It shows you that they have to leave these clothes in England, that they mm-hmm. have to leave all this here. Whereas Bastone, it's like they were just here. They were just with us. Yeah. yeah. When you must said have like, like these Eric one second. Like... No, 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 go on you. I keep interrupting you. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, when you said with like the way they decided to show people like people's deaths D-Day you just didn't see them again like you like that would have happened on D-Day like you Mm. saw them in the plane or before the plane that was it they were just gone 
and then in Bas with Bastogne in, in the convent when you literally see them disappearing like they'd seen them all the way up until like like the when um uh Skip and Pincala's Foxhole got hit um or Hubler or even like with Bill Bill and Toy getting hit and the actual assault on four like you'd seen them individually up mm. until that point everybody else had just disappeared but like like you said with them disappearing in the directors of like the way they chose to do that um it just like you said I find it really interesting as well as like just there's like like cin cinematography sort of thing is that the word yeah, yeah. that's all um the way they chose to do that was like individual to each character almost like because you would send them instead of them just disappearing um instead of them just being gone because you'd send them you saw them disappear in front of you rather than not seeing them at all mm. that makes sense there's a difference yeah well exactly there's a difference between them not being here any longer and them never even making it over here yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um but back at the hospital <laughs> unless someone has something they mm. want to add. no we can we can go back to the hospital yeah we sort of glossed it yeah because i think that this is um one of the last well also the entire thing where people are dying does that mean that the good soldiers are alive and the bad soldiers are dead mm. uh, for debate but then you have the moment in the hospital which is such a which one of these is the better soldier moment because the way that they're behaving themselves i'd actually argue that Blythe at this point is probably a better soldier than smoky because kind of bragging about how many times you got injured in combat i don't know if that's a good soldier move i don't know if that's like a thing like oh yeah i've gotten shot a bunch of times when like all your training is about not getting shot <laughs> and, and the boil he had to get lanced yeah I did think that was like a bit of a dick move on like Smokey's behalf. Like all of these people around him, they've probably got like worse injuries than him. Mm. And he's bragging about getting like a, like a third purple heart. Like, yeah, thanks for doing yeah. your bit, mate. But yeah. people are dying in the next room. And like when Blythe comes along, it's like he finally realized like, ah, shit. So I shouldn't have said that because like he's lit his head is like covered in bandages. And it's like, there was people in worse shape than you, but yeah. you're, you're celebrating being in pain. And I mean, also, Popeye, would he one. have given his purple heart to Tab if Popeye hadn't made that yeah. uh, comment? Like, would he I have given him? And Popeye was like, you know, he only gets one, and then Tab gets stabbed and doesn't get a purple heart, and Smokey's like, mm. you can have one of mine, I guess. Yeah, it's like when like a kid gets caught doing something shitty. It's like here, I'll share. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, well, I'll share with you because yeah, maybe these were received under ostensibly terrible uh, times, okay. but alas. Yeah. Uh, the um the 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 scene where they are sort of back in England at their mess is interesting because it's like the. The first instance where they have to develop a sense of humor for what they went through. Yeah. Yeah. Like they make a joke about the night of the bayonet. Like mm -hmm. when when one of their own got stabbed by another one. And everyone laughs at it because it's like, you know, well, 
if you can't laugh at yourself, what can you? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then we have these replacements, which is the first time we're introduced to them. And they're kind of sitting there like, the fuck is this? Yeah. Stabbed and this is like you guys are lunatics. It's like when you're not on an inside joke, you're like, yeah. this is stupid. Yeah. And they're really just sitting there like, I don't know what's going on. It's kind of like, why are you laughing at that? That's like, how yeah. is that funny? But because obviously they've not been through it. It's like you said, not being on the inside joke. It's yeah. like, how are you meant to laugh at that? Guy nearly yeah. died. Mm. Yeah, and you also clearly get, get the point of um, when Babe Heffron is like, okay, now they've stopped talking. I can now leave without anyone coming after my ass. Like, yeah. he yeah. understand why they need to have this moment. He does not understand why they need to be laughing at someone getting stabbed by one of their own guys. Because, yeah. yes, yeah. Actually, Right. Yeah. Eventually. Yeah. Uh, and then that moment, plus at the same time, the absolute beauty of uh, Winners and Nixon having their discussion over in the corner. Yeah. Their little gay moment. <laughs> they're just, they're <laughs> nose to nose. Yeah. Um, <laughs> There's nothing straight about that. Yeah, back to war. Why do they look so happy about it? I don't even know. Because it's... Because they're in love with each other, but that's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> edit that out. Um, but Sonic soulmates, right? The fact that, like they have that moment. They have to tell Lipton that he has to go ruin everybody's day. Yeah, like, yeah. Beautiful, funny moment that really like brought everybody together. And these two officers, three off, two officers and an NCO, being like. I don't want to do it. You do it. I don't, yeah. Like, I love yeah. them. Responsibility you can see the hierarchy mm -hmm. on it. Yeah. yeah. The, yeah. Hi like the hierarchy that's shown in this episode of yeah. Strayer being like, is it safe to cross? And like, <laughs> Nixon looking at each other like, did he really just, he has a gun. <laughs> they were like, yeah. they, they did everything but one, two, three nose goes. Yeah. yeah. They totally did. Yeah. They totally and Lipton is the lowest man on the totem pole. Like, yeah. sorry, you have to go to go announce this. And he's like, Yeah. Um But but then like, also that is such a good scene. And he's like, I'm gonna start with the good news. Yeah. So, no so uh, no training tomorrow. It's yeah. No training yeah. <laughs> but also we're going back to war. But then they don't. They don't end up going back for actually quite a while. Yeah, like yeah. a month. <laughs> Yeah. I think uh, it's like three months. No, three months, two months, sorry. Two months. I think it's like, like halfway like, through September, yeah. Yeah. I think it's like a month and, and a half, yeah. 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 Because Pat's like, overrunning the drop zone. Mm. Which isn't a bad thing, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but also, if we're talking hierarchy, the moment between Babe Heffron and Bill Garnier, yes. where we've just established that Babe is not a part of the gang. Like, he doesn't understand what's going on, he doesn't know who any of these people are, he doesn't understand the jokes, he's not involved, he, he's, not, he, he's not in need of catharsis because he's never seen battle, and then he turns around and he's intimidated by this guy, but he's, he's being intimidated by this guy who's being a dick, honestly. He's, mm -hmm. he's being a bit of a jerk. And then 
there's this where are you from i'm from philly we we grew up like two blocks away from each other and like that he's in he's the like, game he's, he's no longer a replacement he's already yeah. he's straight away like you're part of the group we're not going to treat you like shit yeah and it is so arbitrary arbitrary because we start the next episode by seeing bull try to take care of his boys and you have like the whole James McAvoy isn't in the gang like this is a meme but it's also like a thing and at that point like during this month and a half Babe has just gotten fully assimilated into the gang he's not treated mm. like a replacement he's not treated like an idiot nothing has changed except that the guys have decided that he's cool and the others are not yeah well, in that and first moment you sort of you sort of see like Luz like look at Bill like what the fuck are you doing? Why yeah. are you like yeah. this replacement? He can't sit with us. Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't yeah. even go here. Yeah. But old Gunner doesn't care. He knows yeah. people. He knows how it is. South Philly kids are. And I because I love that moment where it's like, who's invited? Who is not? Blythe was not invited. Or maybe he didn't want to be a part of it. We don't know. But we start the episode off by getting introduced to this guy who's not a part of the gang. And no one really seems to be interested in making him a part of the gang. Possibly apart from Welsh, depending on how you interpret that. And then we end the episode with someone being essentially picked from the ranks to just kind of become one of the boys because he happens to have a certain accent. Yeah. yeah, it's in so high school. Yeah, it is. It's high school popularity. <laughs> you can you remember that these guys like, are like the look of this and twenty two? You know, they're like nineteen to twenty five. Yeah, like, yeah. They're still, they're still that age. Mature. Yeah, I think uh, they Hefton was twenty two. Yeah, yeah. Sure. They were all somewhere in their early, most of them yeah. were in their early twenties. Yeah. I think, like, some of them were, like, I, I think, like, the old, well, the outlier was, like, Liebgott, who was, like, 30. Yeah. I think and you had, like, 30. I think they said, like, they all were, like, 24, but, like, the the oldest, aside from, like, Liebgott and um, Sobel, which is why they hated him so much mm-hmm. in the training, because he, not just because he was a dick to them, but because he was older. They were all, like, the yeah. same age. So. Yeah. Yeah, I, and, I, and I think the replacements were a little bit younger. Yeah. Because that's why they became replacements, because they couldn't join in at the start. So I think that Heffron is a little bit younger than the rest of them. Yeah. Um, but anyway, can we also talk about... Can we talk about Tarhead? I need to talk about Tarhead. Who the fuck Explain. gets a nickname that's just Tarhead? Explain Tarhead. What the hell is that? It's it's the moment that Bill does no one else think about this? Because I think about it every time. Oh, oh, I might do it for it was. Listen, listen. Gunny, no, no, sorry. Babe and Gunny, they sit down and they're like, Oh, I'm from this street, you're from that street. Did you know James? Oh, old Tarhead? Oh yeah, I know oh. Tarhead. And then we just cut away from that. Like that's not a weird conversation to have. It's a, no, so that's a totally American conversation. Yeah, that is. We are from the same neighborhood. Like that, like Crazy Joe McCluskey. When Babe's like Crazy Joe McCluskey, when uh, in episode yeah. and he's like, you know, Crazy Joe that used to sit. And Garnier's like, yeah, I know who Crazy Joe is, Babe. Like totally American thing to happen. 
It's like, like it's we like, play, you know, someone like if you come from a town where like, oh, my God, you must know so and so, even though like, no, there's 50,000 people in this city. I don't know that person. But yeah, it's like when you it's like even when you like live in a small town, like there are like certain characters who like everyone knows who they are. So like, yeah, that's that's y'all are weird, but like that's not <laughs> odd to us. That is that's just like no. a total American thing. What what I didn't think was weird was was the fact that Bill was asking if Babe knew another guy. It's that he has the nickname Tarhead. Oh yeah. yeah. Excuse me. Bill's gonorrhea. Bill's nickname is gonorrhea. Bill is named after an STD. Yeah, but we understand why. It's because his name is Garnier and Garnier, Gonorrhea. Haha, we are. And I'm sure Tarhead has a very logical reasoning as to why he's called that. And it probably has something to do with tripping and falling. uh, Or maybe he's just blonde. Yeah, or it could be. And it's supposed to be Toehead. Right? I feel like it may be on the same level of like people that I know. Like, doesn't matter where you're from in this like town i guess everybody knows a local drug dealer from a village like i feel like it's on the same level as that yeah it's it's not the best example but it's honestly the best you can do with birmingham so yeah it's like it's like you're gonna know i feel like i shared this in the wrong forum (laughs) (laughs) we did we have western sensibilities over here we're like we're not no Maybe part of it is that if you're going to ask somebody about somebody that they know, you want to pick the person. The noticeable thing. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. how did he get the nickname Tarhead? What does Tarhead mean? It's, it's uh, Nobody knows. I think that's probably the point. Oh, I don't know. I can do a seance. Ask Bill Garnier. Tar- oh, okay. I'll, I'll do that now. Then. Ask an Louise, ask a Ouija board, be like, why was he called Tarhead? Um, and while we're looking up Tarhead, I Why noticed one last note. I'm going to go back to the hospital and I apologize, but this is one of my favorite parallels in the entire series. And it is that Albert Blythe comes into the show, staring off into the distance, into the sunlight. And he leaves the show, staring off into the distance. Yes. Because. Yes. In, That's in, like, cinema. Yes. Cinema. Parallel. Bilbag, you did it again. All right, so I definitely do think uh, I need to cap it here because we could just like sit here and talk forever. Um, I literally need to go back to work. I will. All right, I'm gonna say thank. I'm gonna say thank you to Laura. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Maria, and thank you, Senna, so much for uh, doing me little show. Thank you. I will uh, talk to you guys soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.